Hi guys and welcome to this edition of How to Wow, starring Richard Osman and brought to you by M&S Plant Kitchen. M&S Plant Kitchen launched in 2019 when their first vegan-friendly range took the meat-free world by storm. Exactly. And now, my friends, there are 100 plant kitchen products to choose from, which is excellent news for my family. As back in March, my wife, Tequila Tash, and I decided to go all in plant-based. We were in Los Angeles running our very own made-up marathon as we were due to run the Tokyo Marathon, which was cancelled due to, well, you know what. But we'd done the training, I'd booked the time off work, and we had arranged, we had arranged extensive international childcare. You see, the thing is, eating plant-based in California has traditionally been much more of a thing than here in the UK. But that's all changing, and changing at a pace. Da-da-da! Introducing the M&S Plant Kitchen. No chicken nuggets. They look like chicken. They smell like chicken. They're finger-licking like chicken, and they taste like chicken. At least as far as I can remember. It's been a while. But hey, don't take my word for it. Cut to my second eldest son, Eli, in the Evans plant kitchen. Eli, what's going on with the no chicken nuggets? Oh, they look like chicken, they smell like chicken, and they taste like chicken. Oh, they must be chicken. Oh, no, they're not chicken. Told you. And he's had actual chicken a lot more recently than me. But that story's for another day. Sticking with the no chuck chuck chicken now, there's also the delicious, and I mean mouth-meltingly delicious No Chicken Kiev. M&S Plant Kitchen's most successful vegan launch ever, with one being sold every four minutes. There's probably one outside your window right now. Take a look. Largely because of their indulgent garlic filling waiting to explode in your mouth underneath that coating of crunchy golden breadcrumbs. I want one now. And then there's the kiddies' favourite plant kitchen cauliflower popcorn, which we paid our kids in to do this. Plant kitchen! I think it could be a hit. Other scrummy treats include PK posh hot dogs, PK green Thai curry, and the to die for PK coleslaw salad, the first ever vegan coleslaw to hit supermarket shelves in the UK. Wow! Talking of wow, it's time now to How to Wow. Thank you, MNS Plant Kitchen, for helping make this show happen. Richard, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, um, can you see me? Uh, I can see you loud and clear. Can you see someone loud and clear? Yeah, I suppose so. But despite you have a you have a challenge, you have you've always had a visual challenge. Yes. What is it called? Uh, I have a thing called nystagmus, which means yeah, it's it's a vision impairment. I see the world very very blurred. My eyes are constantly flickering about, so I can see you. I know that you are Chris Evans, uh, uh, so I, and I can make out, you know, you got. I mean, but all, all, equally, if someone said, "Oh, that's David Lee Travis," I'd be like, "Oh wow, with the baseball cap and the beard, maybe." But uh, I know it's you, so uh, you know, like, like like lots of people with vision impairments, I've taken an awful lot of uh, other clues. And being in your studio and having chatted to you before this has has been a big clue to me. Bit of a giveaway. Yeah. So for for on on days when I'm not feeling like Chris Evans, can you give me any tips? Because you know it's me. So how can I know it's me? Uh, how can you know it's you? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question to start <laughs> with, isn't it? It's normally, how many episodes of Pointless do you film a day? <laughs> so how do I know it's me? Well, yeah. it's a very good question. Um, Gramsci, the Italian philosopher, said, uh, he's talked about the meaning of life. Uh, and he said the meaning of life is, is uh, whatever the reason it is that you get up in the morning. 
He said, that's the meaning of life. He said, absolutely individual to, to everybody. And uh, I guess um, you, you get up a, out of bed for a Chris Evans reason, right? Well, I do. No, I get up out of bed because I'm too excited to sleep, which well, has always been the case. Well, that's no, yeah. really. Yeah, I love it. I love. I cannot that's wait. That's extraordinary. What are you excited about? Everything. Just excited about everything. But in, okay, excited about meeting people or new stimulants or. Well, you don't. You don't have to put a name on it. I'm just. I, I live in a permanent st permanent state of excitement. That must be tiring for people around you. No, it's not. You. Well, no, I don't think it is because they're not always aware of it. I don't think. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm not hyper. Because you can be quietly excited and yes. fascinated by everything. Well, listen, my the eye condition I have, my pupils are constantly flickering all the time, never, ever stop, right? So everyone else can see it, but I can't. I can't see it because my brain has made sense of it. And that's like, <laughs> that's like your personality. Because, <laughs> you, you know, everyone around you is going, Jesus Christ, look at that. He's really flickering about, isn't well, he? Well, he calmed down for one second. Yeah, but your brain goes, no, this is just normal. And so, because, you know, you're, you're a big fan of telly. You've always been a mm. big fan of telly. And you were often told off when you were little for sitting too close to the telly, which yeah. just wasn't the case. No, I was sitting as near as I needed to be, which is, you know, I, uh, the the TV. You know, when you're walking around the streets and people say, oh, my God, look at that bird in that tree. And you're like, well, I mean, listen, I'll take your word for it. I can see that there's some green uh, leaves. But I'm telly, I can see everything. You know, David Attenborough can show me a bird that I'm never going to see in real life. And telly does that for everybody. And for me, it's my eyesight uh, it isn't quite so good. For other people, it's no mobility. It's not quite so good. And there's places they can't go and experiences they can't have. And telly can give you all of it. You know this massive thing now where they say, um, talk about online lives and online friends are not real friends. Uh, and I always think, well, but of course they are. Because the world on television is the real world. You know, I've never been to India, but I've seen it, if you know what I mean. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, virtual reality morphing into reality is absolutely fine by me. It's all the same thing. And you've always been spellbound and flabbergasted by the fact that, you know, telly has often been sort of talked down um, mm. as far as, you know, one of the creative arts is concerned. And, yeah. you know, cinema's been talked up and, uh, and, and and music and books. And then you, you've done the maths on this, haven't you? You've worked out the hours of, of, of television that people can enjoy within a week. Well, yeah, there's all, there's all sorts of, you know, when, when people talk about the biggest movie, you know, of the year, and it'll be, it'll have like a, a half of the viewership of a weekly episode of Country Farm. And I know that culturally they're different things, but that's significant still. And I, when, when, when they look back and look at the last century and the first bit of this century, it's not the era of cinema or rock and roll. It's the era of television, nothing else. It's the era of television. It's literally, it's so huge, it's so all-consuming that, um, you know, we... We miss it. I was talking to someone uh, last night who writes on Succession, and we were talking about the fact that uh, in America, television's taken incredibly seriously now. They write proper articles about it, and reviews are interesting. In here, it, there's just there's no writing about TV. You look at the way people write about film incredibly intelligently. You look at the way people write about books. In television, there's nothing. There's not a single. No one would ever write an essay about Succession about how you know, other than saying everybody's watching it. Yeah. You know, there's no, it's, which it's so looked down on as, a, as, as an art form, whereas it's very difficult to argue now that it's not the greatest art form. I mean, it's extraordinary at the moment, telly. That still might happen here, though, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think it has to because, you know, cinema is wonderful. But there's so many incredible telly shows at well, the moment. It's never been better, has it? It's, it's never been better. Never, ever, ever been better. And it's become more like movies in that, you know, it's not like 
there's four channels and so we're all watching the same thing. You know, everyone's always saying to you, oh, I tell you what you've got to watch, I tell you what you've got to watch, which is much more like movies and books. So let's write, you know, intelligently and sensibly about it. And it's the, the writers are out there who can do it. It's just we don't have the, there's, there's, there's not the forum to do that, I think. Well, it's the opposite. When we were little and there were three channels and there were four channels, mm. when, when we were kids, of course, um, you know, and we would have to wait for our favourite programme. Yeah. And you used to wait all week for it, whether it was Happy Days or Alfreda Zane Pet or Minder, exactly you know, right. or, or, or the Des O'Connor show on a Wednesday night or Doctor Who on a Saturday night or, or whatever the heck it was or Top of the Pops mm. on a Thursday night. We'd wait. TV was all about waiting. And now you haven't got enough time, no, yeah, yeah. enough hours in the day to watch more amazing telly than there's ever been it's the opposite way around and frankly it gets me in a funk it gets me in a funk as well uh, but i still love watching scheduled television you know i will i will still sit down and watch homes under the hammer and bargain hunt when they're when they're on i don't watch them on catch up uh because i believe in it as a shared experience you know the one of the beauty listen i know you're doing a podcast but one of the beauties of radio is it's real time and you know you're sharing it with people and telly you know far more people watch telly scheduled than you would believe from you know popular culture if ever you say i'm watching xyz people go uh, do people still watch scheduled television you think yeah pr pretty much everyone you know pretty much 90 percent of uh, of tv watching is scheduled television uh, and i know that's going to go down i understand that but it's still a massive shared experience and you don't understand this country if you don't understand that is the truth anyone who thinks that everyone is sitting at home only watching catch-up doesn't understand what this country is Kids do. Kid, kids only watch on catch-up or stuff. But, you know, adults, anyone over kind of 35, which is a lot of people, are still watching scheduled telly. And um, uh, let's talk about the, the your formative television viewing. Because mm. a lot of people don't know, uh, some people do, but a lot of people don't, more more won't than will listening to this, that you are, you very much miss the television. You can't say that about yourself, but I can. Mm. And we'll explain why, and we'll get into that hopefully during this conversation. Uh, but let's, I talked about a few of mine there, Swap Shop I threw in there as well, mm. and Tears was I threw in there as yeah. well. You know, um, Thunderbirds, um, I test cricket, the snooker with my dad. We watched, oh, yeah, we watched days and days, years of it, it seemed. You know, I hadn't been alive for years, but it seemed like I'd been watching snooker before I was born on the telly. Well, because it didn't used to be any daytime TV. When I was at school, I liked to bunk off if I could, I did, if I didn't have to go into school. But there's nothing to watch. There'd be Pebble Mill, which would be at one o'clock. So there's no breakfast telly. Pebble Mill will come up at, at one o'clock, which would be like a magazine show on the BBC One. There'd then be nothing on again until children's programs started at 3.30. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I mean, there was absolutely nothing. So when the cricket was on or when the snooker was on, they sort of put it on all day. Yeah, and we watched like, it. Oh, my God. Yeah, definitely. And then breakfast telly hit the screens for the first time. Mm. Gee, telly in the morning, how naughty is that? We're not supposed to watch telly in the morning. Well, it wasn't difficult to not watch telly in the morning because there wasn't any telly to watch. Yeah, then exactly boom, that. boom. I can't remember. Was BBC Breakfast on first or was it no, TV AM was first? That's yeah. right. And TVM bombed, didn't it? Big time. It bombed big time. Everybody thought the commercials was going to get it right. So ITV, because they're funky and they're looser yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. not as serious or plummy as the BBC, they were going to get it right. And the BBC was going to be all stiff up lip and get it wrong. But it was the other way around. Amazing. And I think BBC Breakfast News, didn't that launch six weeks after TVM? It was something like that. And TVAM had, my God, the lineup, what was it? They had Aspel, Selena Scott, Parkinson. Parkinson. I mean, it had extraordinary. Frank they Boff loaded the bases. No, Frank Boff was on the BBC. Oh, Frank Boff was BBC. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But he it was, was their nemesis. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, poor Frank. 
big time. <laughs> I, got, I got a great story about phone Oh, God, I bet, yeah. I was just thinking about Swap Shop, and I was just thinking I got a few stories there oh, as well. Oh, I've got the, I think I've got uh, maybe the it? best friend. No, I don't think I can. Oh, really? I don't think so. What are, can you tell us some constituent parts of it, and we can jigsaw it together in our brain? Yeah, well, so Frank Boff, um, you know, uh, eventually um, he was revealed as having some interesting um, recreational um, goings on, yeah. um, which was, has been well documented. And then a friend of mine appeared on his show and a friend of mine um, used to appear as a character. And the character um, that the friend of mine used to appear as had a massive papier-mâché head. Oh, yeah. And he was only yeah. ever seen in this head. Yeah. And so um, who's that amazing singer, the, the singer that, that always... She has her face covered. Sia. Sia. So he was way ahead of Sia, but instead of her hair, he had his papier-mâché head. But it yeah. wasn't just a balloon head. It was a big old... I know who you mean. Okay, so you know exactly who yeah. I mean. And um, he was once on the um, BBC Breakfast News um, sofa being interviewed by Frank. And apparently, if you watch it back, Frank is looking at this, his guest, thinking, he looks like he's got a massive papier-mâché head to me. Okay, so you're saying... I'm not saying anything. <laughs> it's interesting when I said, just give us a couple of constituent parts. <laughs> told the whole story. <laughs> essentially told the whole... Yeah. Uh... No, he's, he, and Frank's thinking, well, obviously he's a real person, but to me, maybe I had a bit, bit too big of a night last night because he, yeah. he looks like he's Is got a puppy machine just... head, but he did have a puppy machine That's head. lucky. Yeah, I've got, I've, I've, got, I've got a great swap short story well, that then. I couldn't tell. No, I can't. Come on, I've shown you mine. No. Show me yours. No, it's, but it's about Noel and Cheggers. Uh, God rest him, uh, and uh, and and Maggie Forbin. But it's a it's a great story. Cheggers plays pop. There was a show. Yeah, there was a show. He was uh, Cheggers was. Um, I think people used to have a go at him a bit on Twitter for for taking other people's jokes. And I always felt with Chegg when there's certain people in telly who, if you're ever on a show, you just think great, we're in absolute safe hands. Yeah. You know, he'd come on, he'd do he'd just, you know, he absolutely just put in a shift every single time he went on telly. So, you know, I loved them. Um, it's so amazing to have the pleasure of working with these people, right from, you know, watching them on telly and then suddenly think, hold on a minute, you're, you're Keith Chegwin. This is, uh, this is quite something. Um, it's one of the best bits of telly, I think, is firstly, you get to see new people coming through, which I love, mm. uh, and you get to see people before they're famous and then and after but secondly, yeah, when suddenly you're working with Les Dennis and you're thinking, God, what an absolute, you know, as, as, a, as a TV kid to sort of grow up and then suddenly be working with those people, you think it's, and, and to discover they're lovely, which is even better. I um, once worked with Keith Chegwin uh, and I used to watch him as a kid on Swap Shop with his Swapper armor and I got, to do, I got a job with him one day and it was a voiceover for Sugar Puffs and um, I was Snap, right? Okay. <laughs> Oh, I see. Yeah, I can you know see where that. this is going? No. Any idea where this is going? So I was snapped. Brian Blessed was crackle, and Cheggers played pop. Oh, and he really that's did. Beautiful. And I thought this poetry, absolute poetry. Am I right in saying that his autobiography? This might be apocryphal, but uh, I think it was called Cheggers Can't Be Boozers. I don't know. I mean, we can find out. We can find out now. It's amazing if it's true, though. Yeah, we can find out in a, in a Joe Rogan-esque kind of way when oh, the internet nice. is just fired up in our direction, making us sound far more clever. Uh, than we are. So um, now working with people that were here at your heroes when you were little, yeah. just the best thing in the world. Parky, you know, watching years and years of Parky, then being a guest on Parky and getting a Parky pen. You know, he gave out Parky pens. Wow. They were Mont Blanc Parkinson pens. No, that's pretty classic, oh, isn't it? Oh, man. 
Uh, not dissimilar to the merch that you you give away on on House of Games. That is, uh, is yeah. this where you got it from? We don't have Mont Blanc things, <laughs> <laughs> so, but apart no, but from you, that, is you've uh, got the Osmond bread bin. We have yeah, there's bread <laughs> bins, there's fondue sets. There's we used to have teas maids, which was always my favourite prize. But then teas made apparently, like Porter Cabin, is a trademark. It's like the name of a company. Hoover is the one. And like it? Hoover, so yeah. I wasn't allowed to say teas made. And so, actually, I would always say teas made. So, in the end, they had to ban it as a prize because I, because I just was incapable of calling it. You have to just call it a morning tea maker or something. You think that's not as that's not as funny. But your shows are dripping with all these pearls of of nostalgia, all these pearls mm. of respect, you know. And but that's you know that's back to the conveyor belt on the generation game. Yeah. You know, the bread a bread bin used to be on. You know, th- there would always be one or two of those or a. A poof, you know, um, yeah, yeah, would yeah. be on there, and you know, obviously the cuddly toy and things like that. So let's let's get to the to to the foundations, the the formative television programs of the of the formative Osman years, mm. and this is pre dad leaving and post dad leaving, because I bet it's very important in your life. Yeah, I get. Well, I suppose so. I think I think I think TV is the one thing that that never changed pre and post. So so yeah, I wouldn't um cut it in two. The the best TV program of all time is Superstars, in my opinion, which was the show they had. 70s and 80s. Would we be able to edit in the theme music to Superstars at this point? I thought we just had. What do you mean? I was trying to work out which bit you're in so I could join in. Because that gives everybody a lift. Greatest theme tune of all time. But that I loved. And most shows that I do have leaderboards and points. And it absolutely comes from superstars and how brilliant that was uh and you know just getting groups of people together to 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 kind of compete and i've done loads of shows over the year years like we did the games for channel four which is a really good show uh and you know even house of games it's all it's all based on that it's all leaderboards and challenges and this kind of stuff so i loved superstars i love sport and i love telly um so that was a great show family fortunes the best format of all time i would say Unless you have strong disagreement well, with Well, nice thing about hosts, when you mentioned that, I was thinking Max Bygraves. Yeah, he's had a lot. Uh, Les did it, of course. Yeah. Uh, Monkhouse. Was Max Bygraves first or was Monkhouse first? I can't uh, remember. Bygraves. Yes, Monkhouse is first, I think. Right. Then Max Bygraves. Then Les Dennis. Yeah. There'd have been a few others. Then Vernon. Mm-hmm. And now, Gino. Gino De Campo is hosting it. And did you think, did you think weekends, did you think Fridays and Saturdays, school time before and then bedtime, so... In a nationwide was a big one in our house. I, I'm a bit yeah. older than you, though. A little bit. I'm half yeah, a decade older. Um, than you. Yeah, a little bit. Not too much. But yeah, and I was a, I was a swap shop. But I was I was definitely a swap shop era. We watched swap shop instead of Tiswells, which tells my my mum was nothing if not a social climber. Mm. So we had that Blue Peter, you know. And these things would be getting. You look back sometimes on ratings, and you know Blue Peter would be getting 16 million viewers. Neighbours when it was on that was you know straight after. Um, uh, Blue Peter in the in the mid eighties, sixteen seventeen million, but every night, yeah. you know, and then that's life would be on, and that's life would be getting nineteen million, and you know that's that's extraordinary. What a, and we grew up with that shared experience, you know, uh, and this generation of course won't grow up with that. The generation before us grew up with the shared experience of the war, so we've gone from the war as a shared experience to that's life and swap shop as as a shared experience to nothing as a shared experience so that's quite a um that's that's quite a slippery slope well i remember noel's house party got taken off because its viewing figures went down to 13 million yeah i mean yeah i remember we had a quiz on itv which they pulled after two episodes because it was only getting six and a half million (laughs) which these days would be like this is the uh 
We had a Channel 4 quiz that was getting two and a half million. They just said, no, sorry, we just can't keep going. <laughs> wow. And there's so much to talk to you about, Richard. Um, so much to talk to you about. I mean, I suppose we, we should get onto your career now. Um, to tell everybody what, what Endemol is and what's it responsible for and how you became involved with it. Endemol is a, is, a, is, is a company who, it's sort of, the early shows it made were things like ground force and changing rooms and stuff like that. So that's sort of what it built its uh, built itself on. And then it was bought by John DeMol, the um, uh, maker of Big Brother. And I joined before Big Brother. I've been at Hattrick, which is a comedy company, for years and years and years and done comedy shows. Uh, and I teamed up with a, a guy called Tim Hinks who was working there. He said, do you want to come along? And so I started working at Endemol. And there was 20 of us in a townhouse in Bedford Square in the heart of London near the British Museum. Uh, and, yeah, we made lots of lifestyle shows. And then Big Brother came along. And then we sort of rode that wave a bit. And now I think there's like 9,000 people there. We're in a big old building well we're not now <laughs> we're all sitting at home now but essentially we're in, we're in a big building in um in shepherd's bush and yeah it, it makes all sorts of programs so you know it makes lots of reality shows uh, from big brother almost it's got a big comedy arm that makes would i lie to you and cats does countdown and all that kind of stuff it's got uh, uh black mirror was an end of all show so it, 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 it's kind of across lots of uh, lots of different genres and yeah i was a creative director there for a long time which is coming up with the new shows taking care of the ones that are, are, are on air inventing things selling things running teams uh and you know because i love both sides of telly in the same way i'm enjoying both sides of writing i love the creative bit but i also love selling you know i love sitting in a room and trying to sell something to somebody i just think especially if it's something i'd love if i think honestly this should be on your channel I, that to me is the most fun i can have is going in and selling you must enjoy that right yeah, I used to. I know. I used to love pitching. I used to love pitch. Depends who too, and what relationship you have with them, and how warm the room is before you get there, yeah. and how hot you are when you arrive, and things like that. What your last show was, and what your next show might be, and what you're doing at the time, and who you're working with. Things like that's all very interesting. But um, this is why I have so much admiration for you because I did like it, you know. But uh, mm. I, I, the more I, I learn about you, and I, well, I know we've known each other for a while mm. now, but you know, there are so many strings to your bow, and you seem to really sort of embrace them all and give them all 110. percent You know, and I could never do that you know i'd be 110 here and 70 here and then depending on what day it was or what we've been up to or where we were in life things like that but you seem to be a lot more seem to have been a lot more consistent i mean and, sorry but but if you look at what you've achieved yeah. that was clearly working for you right i mean you went i was thinking about your trajectory and you must have had five years where listen on the outside professionally you could do nothing wrong i mean every single thing in in, in for the book at the moment every email i'm getting is a great email everything is good news yeah, and that must have been you for like five years or something. It's about two, yeah, it's about sort of it was about six, six, seven, eight years. So it's ninety two, the big breakfast to the maybe penultimate series of TFI Friday, not the last one. But then at the same time, you are suddenly famous and suddenly in the public eye, from being a geeky little kid from Manchester. Uh, that must have driven you. Did it drive you completely insane, or did it actually feed into the insanity that was in you anyway? What did? Uh, that level of fame and success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, c completely... Uh, it's like like winning the lottery um, 10 times over. Um, as we know, winning the lottery once can, can yeah. play havoc um, with, with your life and with your persona. Um, yeah. The thing is, you know, um, I talked about this in the books I've written mm. in the past. You know, it's about... Because I used to love the work. Yeah. I used to love the work because I'm a fan. You know, yeah, I'm a yeah, fan. Yeah. I'm a fan now. You know, I'm back to where I need to be, and things happened so quickly then. The accelerator um, machine was it was it was so exponential that the work 
you did I didn't there was a point where I didn't have to do the work yeah and that's because the 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 um oh what's the word uh not the collateral the opposite of collateral the equity that's because the equity that I had the capital, yeah, all yeah. the equity, um, was so massive. It was so hot. The burning sun was 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 burning so, so brightly. Yeah. Um, in the way, the, the, actually, there wasn't the work to be done wasn't even there. Yeah. So we just lived, you know, yeah. and we became the. I suppose we became the story. And they were throwing money at you. Um, well, yeah, but that was that wasn't a big deal at the time, to be mm. honest. Um, and I suppose it was reality television without the programs. But how did you explain your success to yourself? Well, you didn't. You don't think about it. I don't think. I don't think when when you're that age, you don't think about. You must things. have thought, how have I, how have I earned this life that I'm enjoying? <laughs> no, I didn't have time you didn't to think, think that at all. I have since. I have. I have reflected on that. You yeah. know, you've, you you reflect on would you've done anything differently? But you know, it, I wasn't in a band, but it was as closest to being in a band. Without, yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. It, yeah, and also I got in a way I got to be in a lot of the bands. You yeah, know, of course. Week on week, because we had first TFI Friday we ever did. We have five bands on. Uh, the last TFI Friday that there ever was was hosted by Elton, Elton John. I wasn't even in the studio. Yeah, that was an interesting series. Um, and what do you think brought that six or seven years to to an end? Oh, I was I couldn't keep the story up anymore. Okay, I couldn't keep my my alternative story up anymore. You know, I'd if it was a Netflix series. So that's what I'm asking. What was your story then to yourself? But there wasn't a story to myself. There was, because you you're so busy living the story for other people, you're not telling one to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what causes the disconnect mm. between who you really are, where you really started from, and then who you or what you. So it's the, this the I and the self, isn't there? Yeah, I'm a great believer that you know we can all say look, there's no such thing as objective truth, and I get that. I'm a great believer that we all have a true north. Yeah, I agree. Which is our correct path through life. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and usually, what's wrong with you is you you've gone either side of that true north somewhere and some people never never go back how about, I know, how about 360 around it that's yeah, what i yeah, was i was yeah. orbiting around it well i that's interesting because i've dealt with 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 presenters who i think you have gone so far from who you actually are and therefore you because the brain the brain still knows who you are but suddenly your life is so far removed from that they're constantly having to make the leap back so they become insane and it, all their demands become insane and their demands about the world, and they're saying, why is this happening on this show? Why won't this happen? You think, well, it's because you're not true to yourself. Yeah, yeah. But some people, uh, mentioning no names, will never be saved, in my view, and they become monsters. You know, And uh, you know, I guess you probably uh, jumped back from the precipice well before it was too late. Well, I think, you know, I mean, there was, there was famously, uh, there was a TFI Friday when I opened the show by opening the top drawer of that famous desk and showing all the medication that I was taking at the time. <laughs> Oh dear! And that was you, that was live on the channel. That was were like, you fun to work with? Do you think? <laughs> Maybe. No, I think I think I think I was for a lot of the time. Then I would yeah, imagine. Yeah. I, I imagine. I don't know. Ask ask. Every, I think we had we had a, we had a time. We had we had a time. Yeah. We had some fun times. We had some unforgettable times. But week after week after week, they just kept on coming because we did. I think we did forty shows a year. Yeah. Because the the. the you know, one of those conversations where you said before, you know, you, when you can't do any wrong, which, yeah. which of course you can, but you know, yeah. you know, people allow you to do some wrong, yeah. and therefore you think you're not doing any, any, anything wrong. And so Channel Four said, you know, uh, two two series a year of thirteen. Mm. I said, well, why don't we? Why why are we doing series? Why don't we just stay on all year? And oh. I, th I think we were the first show to do that. Graham Graham does that now. He takes yeah. the summer off. Um, 
but no, we said, for, I said, let's take the summer off. We'll take two weeks of Christmas. What's that leave us? They said 40 weeks. I said, okay, let's do 40 a year. And that's why I think there, I think there were over 200 TFIs. Yeah, but it's, listen, volume is a thing. I mean, I've just done I've just done 100 House of Games in, a, in, in about a month, uh, which is which is a different thing because it doesn't, it's not quite so all-consuming. And that, those days in telly, from the out, you know, I was going to say from the outside, from the inside, were very, very. Uh, there was some. There was a lot of money slushing about, which there definitely isn't now. There was a lot of. <laughs> well, there's a lot of advertising. I mean, there that's are, the thing. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of charlatans um, uh, knocking about. There are fewer now because it's harder to to to, to do it. Uh, and yeah, God, when you had a hit, you really had a hit. Oh, you did. Right. It's not yeah, like yeah. it's like I would say anyone who is famous in the '80s is famous forever. Yeah. You know, if you're Sue Pollard or Duncan Goodhue. Right, you're famous forever and ever and ever. Everybody knew you, and you caught the tail end of that. So everyone's going to know you forever. Well, I think it's different slightly, actually. If you don't mind me saying, I'll take you. I'll take your first point. Okay, yeah. I think. No, actually, I take your first point. I take what you've said completely, but the bit that's missing is the fact that um, if you were famous in the '80s, you're famous forever. Mm. But if you were making tellies in the 90s, you had the advantage of the afterglow of what you're talking about. Plus, you could make some money. Because yeah. because the, a lot of people on telly in the eighties didn't make any money, but even yeah. though they were extraordinarily famous, and actually we're sort of back there now in many ways. But in the nineties, you know, off the back of Planet Twenty Four and all these new mm. deals that we were all creating, you know, where you became a, a producer, creator, on air talent, you know, um, you 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 could drive a pretty hard deal. And by the way, you know, nobody's ripping anybody off. Everybody was making mm. money. That's the um, thing. But you you could, you know, it's funny because, you know, I was talking to, talking, um, to Gaz about this back in the day, you know, and the most money he was ever on was £17,000 a week, yeah. I think it was. And that was a load of dough. <clears throat> load of dough. Um, I think that was at Lazio. And that was loads of money. Yeah. But like, Two or three years later, everybody's on fifty grand, yeah. and there is there is a moment when you know things jump. And I don't know, you know this because I've not really been in telly like I used to be yeah. for ages and ages now. You know what is it like now? Where where's the money in them their hills now? Well, the money is in drama really now because you know Netflix have got you know bottomless pockets uh, pretty much, and Amazon Prime and stuff like that. So there's a huge amount of money in narrative television, not a huge amount of money in entertainment television um, anymore. Um, but you know that's where all the cash is. But there's loads of it. And funny enough, I was in a, a big, like the absolute number one talent agency in the UK. I was in with them yesterday, not to talk about myself. Uh, and uh, it, they were, you know, I was chatting to them and just saying, look, in the old days we would sell to those channels, BBC, ITV, Channel Four, Five, uh, and then Sky came along. And you know, if you're an international company, you've got the the networks in the US and what have you. Now everybody will buy your content, every single person. And if you're Schofield, or more importantly, if you're like one of these younger kind of bits of talent like KSI or someone like that, everybody wants your content. Everybody wants you to do a two-minute video for them and pay you a fortune. So he just said, look, talent has never, ever, ever been paid more because I used to say at Endemol years ago, I said, look, at some point, the BBC is not going to be our only client, but Nike will be our client and Coca-Cola will be our client and they'll be buying stuff off us. And, you know, that's what's happening now. So if you make content, which is all telly people do, you know, it's it's never been it's it's never been more lucrative. I have to say, if you're if you're in telly and losing money at the moment, you're 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 doing something wrong. So tell us about some of the pitches. What's the best pitch you've ever pitched, and the best pitch you've ever heard that we may know about? Well, we we <laughs> it's I mean, often the best pitches are because you just think, God, how did we sell that? Um, I remember a Million Pound Drop that we did with the Davina show on Channel Four. 
th that was a show that on the great show is a really it's, it's show. another one of those come up with the title you got the show i know well, you talk about that a lot don't yeah. you yeah. we literally had a cardboard box with four little um uh trap doors cut into the top and we play in this little thing and it was sort of a daytimey type show and it's oh this is a fun thing and you can you can move money between different answers uh, and we had a meeting with channel four two days later but with with um the head of channel four so it's like it wasn't daytime so i said look why why don't we do this for a million why don't we do it for a million quid right why because channel four always has to be different for us it needs to be different i said look it's really compelling this game you know we're all enjoying playing it and watching it so we go in i said right what we'll say is this is definitely not for you because it's a million quid game show so that's that's not for channel four it just we know it's not however you've asked for something different you know how much we like working with you so we're taking it to you before we take it to itv played it through in the room with the cardboard box with the thing uh they bought it within 30 seconds and within a year it's the it's the most lucrative television show in the world you know for like three years running it was the most lucrative i didn't invent it but it's that pitch within 30 seconds you know you'd sold the most lucrative show in the world so that sort of thing is fun but then the best thing we ever sold was we did a show called a show which 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 was unsuccessful uh, in many ways but it was a show called space cadets which was like the ultimate practical joke but which is a show where we had this idea of could you convince four people they've been to space uh and so the idea was you would sort of we we get all these people saying that you're flying to russia and then you're going to go up to space so we'd sort of take them to stansted fly them around for four hours land them in an abandoned air base in suffolk which had been dressed to look like it was in Russia, full of Russians as well. Uh, they were trained as cosmonauts. Uh, and then we put them in a space rocket and simulated taking off. And they, they, they thought they were in space, which is awful. I mean, that's, this, that's the excess of television in the uh, uh, sort of tw 20 years ago. But that was, you'd think that we'll never sell that ever. And we sold that in sort of 10 lines. And they went, oh, my God, this is amazing. And that's one of the ones where you sell and just go, I'm not sure this is as amazing as you think it is. But uh, listen, we made it, and it was unsuccessful. Uh, and um, Johnny Vaughan hosted, yeah. talking to people with a lot of energy. Uh, and um, that was an unusual pitch. But Million Pound Drops is one of those ones. I only sold, there's one show I sold entirely from a title, which was Channel 4 wanted to do something with Frankie Boyle. Uh, and Frankie's quite hard to do stuff with on television because he's very uncompromising. He is, by the way, one of my favorite people. He's absolutely lovely. Uh, and they were thinking, well, what can we do with Frankie? And I said, well, look, why don't we... Why doesn't he just curate a show and we call it um, uh, the Boyle Variety Show? And that was it. He went, okay, done, sold, just off the just off the title, which has, I think is what people think happens in television, but it happens very, very rarely. Normally you have to put a lot of work in. Okay, two more shows to talk about. Uh, Total Wipeout. Oh. Uh, have you ever been there? Did you ever get to have a go? Yeah, I've been... Uh, a, yes, I've been there. B, I didn't have a go because I haven't lost my mind. By the way, where is there? Uh, it's Argentina. So Total Wipeout we made in Buenos Aires because it's a really expensive set. People think we did, made it in Buenos Aires because the health and safety uh, uh, rules are, are, are lax, but that, 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 that wasn't the case. That's what I thought. No, absolutely not, because you're still it's bound by... It's a great by, myth, though. It's you a good could, sell, yeah, it's really isn't it? Good. It's really good. Just yeah. saying that it's so dangerous, yeah. they couldn't make it in Don't the UK. Don't deny that one. Yeah. Uh, so we made that in Buenos Aires because all the different endomod companies from around the world would go and make it on the same set, essentially. So you build one massive set, and the endomod companies had it like a timeshare. So we'd have it for two weeks, then, you know, the next company. Uh, and usually I wouldn't go out there, but when we did celebrity ones, we'd go, Richard Hammond would go out there and I'd 
go out there uh, and uh, we'd make that. But I, I, I never had a go on it because, you know, if you injure yourself in Argentina, it's, uh, you know, I remember the first day of that, we turned up and the Argentinian representative, Endemol, just said, I've got, I've got some bad news. We're like, okay. He goes, all of the camera equipment has been stolen. And we're like, oh, well, how, how has that happened? He goes, yeah, I don't know. I just think local uh, bandits. And we're going, oh, uh, so, so we need to get all this stuff. He goes, I think maybe if you pay £5,000, we can probably get it back. And we're like, right. So someone pays someone £5,000, literally 20 minutes later, it all turns up in a big van, all the same stuff. <laughs> anyway, that was, uh, that was Total Wiper in Argentina. But that's a wonderful show. And I used to write that as well, which was the most fun. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? Some shows are made by the voiceover, aren't they? Yeah, and that really was. And that was, I just, there's um, three guys called the Dawson brothers, two of whom are brothers called Dawson, one of whom isn't, uh, who write loads and loads of great telly. And we, yeah, we were just sitting and edit, making up people's nicknames. And so, I mean, it's, it's one of those shows. This is, I always thought with that show, telly is funny. Telly awards are funny. I never, I've never won one, never will. Uh, but with that show, I thought, if there is a better edited show in British television than Total Wipeout, in terms of taking raw material and turning it into a really rollicking, funny, entertaining show that all the family love, then I, I, I've yet to see a show that's better edited. And of course, the editing is always won by some jewel in the crown type thing. You can give it to that. What about In for a Penny? That's really well edited. In for a Penny is very well done, yeah. That is and, so, and it's a lovely show as well. Is that yours? No, no, not It's a good show, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really good show. Stephen Mulhern is a talent, isn't he? Do you know what? I think he's great, Stephen Mulhern. I think he's fantastic. He's a really, yeah, he's a, he, he lives down around the corner from me as well. The, the man in the queue at Marks and Spencer's always tells me his diary. He <laughs> says, Stephen's back in the studio on the 11th in Maidstone, uh, but they're having no audience. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> that's that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I love, I love In for a Penny. He's really, he can, um, he's just one of those guys who sort of is himself, and can get away with kind of anything, which is lovely. Yeah, he's cool. He's cool. But the editing is... A lot of the humour is in the editing. Harry Hill's... His, oh. his shows are very well edited. But, well. you know, you'll never... No one will ever give you an award for it. No one will ever give uh, Infra Penny an award. They just won't do it. Because, yeah. because those juries are not people who watch that sort of telly. It's a big show that gets great viewing figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Amazing viewing figures. But, of course, you do have an award. You do have other awards. You do have the Weirdest Crush Award. Yeah, that's quite a long time ago now. Yeah, and no, it's nevertheless, kind of I'm sure it still takes pride of place, doesn't it? I don't think there was actually a physical award. What? I, don't think it was actually, I know, can you believe it? I don't know what form that I what, Also, what weirdest crush, what does that even mean as an award? Weirdest crush, your crush is your crush, isn't it? Well, I always say you can't say weirdest crush without saying crush, so it's, uh, <laughs> I'll take it. And I think, like, David Cameron was fourth, so you think, well, that's uh, that's OK. Yeah, listen, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it is quite an honour. Uh, I have to say, I'm very, very glad to. Uh, I'm very glad to have won it. But no, there's not an actual. I don't have anything to put on my shelf. That's shocking. Yeah, it's awful. There isn't should it? be some legal in that. Yeah, I've got. Like, I've got a countdown teapot, but that's about all I've got. Why on did you shelf. get that? Because you won for doing Cats Does Countdown. All right. Yeah. Well, because you're on it. Yes. I see. Okay, not because you're on the real thing. You're on the. See, when we were on TFI Friday. Mm. We had the countdown clock in the studio one one week. Yeah. We, it was the star of the show because we could do things like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, also starting this week, forget the forget John Bon Jovi, forget anything. But we had the countdown clock, ding, yeah. ding, ding, and we just waited. We just played it for thirty seconds every two or three minutes. It's really stressful. And people loved it. Yeah. And then I went to the people who made countdown. And I said, well, "Look, rock and roll countdown has to happen." And they went, "No, no, you don't understand. You can't mess with countdown." And then how many years later? Yeah. It's and like, hang on a minute. That's that's what I said. I know. We did it as a one-off as well. It was. Oh, did oh see, didn't even try. 
right. Channel, Channel 4 had a Huge night which was, which was twisting various shows. And they said, would you do Cats Does Countdown? We said, yeah, of course. So we did one and it was really good. And they said, would you do another? And we're like, really? Just, okay. So we did one more. And they say, oh, we quite like this. Could you do a third? And you kind of go, well, I suppose. And then we really sat down and thought, hold on, what, we can build this into something. And now I think it's one of the most joyous shows on telly. It's fantastic. And you get people on that show who can never be on other shows. You get brilliant people in, in Dictionary Corner doing stuff. And it's just, you know, Joe Wilkinson coming on and just doing ridiculous stuff uh, that you couldn't do on other comedy shows. So it's one of that, that is 100% kind of accidental. Well, his birth was accidental. And this guy called Rich Cohen, who's, who's the producer of it, who's brilliant. And, you know, he's just turned it into this incredible vehicle for lunacy. Yeah, it is fantastic. Yeah. Deal or no deal? Yes. Were you the exec producer? Yes. From when? Yeah, from the beginning. Right, okay. Uh, and that was an experience. When you say from the beginning, how at the beginning were you? Then? Well, it, it was... Um, Deal or No Deal was that was was the end game of a Dutch lottery show, mm-hmm. um, and it was called Deal or No Deal. In, back then, we kind of went, Deal or No Deal doesn't make sense. No one ever says no. I've just got to warn you, the question's loaded. So carry on. Oh, I'm sure about that. Uh, you know, it's uh, no one knows what that expression means, Deal or No Deal. Now, obviously, it's uh, one of the most common expressions in the uh, in the British language. So it was a Dutch lottery show. Uh, and we brought it over and tried to do a sort of, you know, we tried to work out how you'd make it um, a whole show in the UK. Uh, and Kevin Ligo, who was at Channel 4, was literally just going, oh, my God, have you got anything I can put on afternoons on Channel 4? Because it's, <laughs> it's, really, it's really tanking. And Tim Hinks, who, I'm, who I was working with, he said, you know what? There is a show that's been quite a big hit in, um, in Holland. He said that, that, uh, that, that we really like. Uh, and um, so we showed him Deal or No Deal. And any time we show anyone Deal or No Deal, they buy it because yeah. it's just, it's, it's one of those weird things. You explain it and they go, that doesn't make any sense. And you show it and they go, oh, okay. Uh, and then we were looking for hosts and we went through, fun enough, Les Dennis. Um, uh, uh, we, we did a pilot with Brian Connolly, we did a pilot with, and then Noel came along. Uh, and I have to say, in the same way, I think that, you are a great producer who is a presenter, so you, you're, you're in charge of your brief. Noel, in charge of that, you just think he just hit every single beat that it was possible to hit. We did a, a, um, a pilot, not a pilot, but a, a run through a Ministry of Sound with the channel. Uh, and it was one of, it was a deal on a deal where nothing particularly exciting happened. It was a real run of the mill deal on a deal. And he hit every single beat so perfectly that you just thought, okay, I mean, this, is, uh, this has got, and I never ever know if something's going to be a hit ever as i'm sure you don't you just never know and with that it's the most sure i've ever been i thought this is going to be a hit and yeah and then within six months it was getting five six million during the afternoon it was getting like 50 percent share during the afternoon on channel four it was it was a phenomenon because i i i was i was sent the dvd by your company oh yeah to my farmhouse on my farm where i disappeared to for five wow. years and it arrived in a taxi mm. and um my agent said to me, you know, you've got to watch this thing. It's huge. I said, mm. I'm, not, I'm not available. <laughs> I may never be available again yeah. unless you're a cow or a sheep. And, um, and it sat there on the coffee table in my little cottage. And um, I didn't watch it until it was too late. Yeah. Um, well, but he'd asked me a couple of weeks before. And then he asked me again. He said, look, I'm going to send it to you anyway. Yeah. And then he, he got the taxi driver to phone him 
when he was driving down the lane so he could then phone me. And then he said, the taxi's driving down your lane. It should be appearing in front of your window now. He's going to come up. Just watch 10 minutes of it. Yeah. Apparently, it's amazing. And it sat on the coffee table. So you didn't watch it? I didn't watch it. And it just had deal or no deal written on a Sharpie on the, on the no, outside. You yeah. should have watched it. Listen, I'm... No, no, I'm, no, because I'm... Cause, hang on a minute. No, I owned it. He's He was the gladiator. That's uh, Yeah, but I think you'd have owned it as well. That's, that's the reason we sent it to you. No, because... but also, I'd have had to kiss goodbye to the next 10 years of my life. Because um, it's pretty pretty consuming, wasn't it? It was pretty consuming, but I but I, I imagine that you <laughs> you would have found a way to uh, to um, mold it to your own needs. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I, I, I it suspect. would have lasted four years, and Elton John would have had to present the yeah, last yeah, series. The last that, one. That, that, would, but we'd have had to riot, Richard. Yeah, I mean, it really would have been a lot of fun. The most fun I ever I ever have in telly was sitting in the banker's room on Deal or No Deal. Tell people because people don't know this. This is a great story. So I, no, I used to love it. So I was the exec, and there's a guy called Glenn who I think is people know uh, is the banker and was the banker and is a brilliant guy but was also the producer of the show and he's now got a huge company as well at ITV he's sold shows everywhere Glenn uh, and so yeah you just used to sit there and the here's the fascinating thing is it's a it's a show where the, the producer essentially Glenn could ring the host every 10 minutes you know <laughs> you know to, to kind of mold how the show is going and so if there's a cautious content you know you could give a low offer to really rile someone up or a high offer if you know that someone's nervous but he could do things like we were sitting there and glenn would say Geez, this audience is very quiet today you know and you know it makes a big difference to the audience and sometimes they just are quiet so um so this audience is quiet he goes well, hold on a minute and just rings Noel, right and this is not before an offer or anything like that so it rings Noel. we're in about two minutes into the show Noel's like oh well, the banker is ringing. Hmm. So Noel picks up the phone. Uh, uh, Hello, Mr. Banker. And Glenn, because he's a really, he was an actor, so he always puts on a voice. So it always talked like that as the banker. Uh, and he goes, hello, Noel. Uh, I, I have to say something about the audience. And Noel would go, oh, it's the banker. He says he wants to say something about the audience. And Glenn would go, I just have to say, this is far and away the ugliest audience we have ever had on the show puts the phone down and Noel's like going to the audience oh I don't even know how to pass this on but the banker has just said this is the ugliest audience we've ever had on the show the entire audience uproar and for the rest of the show he absolutely loved it and it's a I mean what brilliant producing to be able to literally ring your host in the middle of a yeah a and show. also they feel contempt towards the banquet which oh, is yeah. exactly what they they want them to yeah. have it's it's it, but honestly Glenn played that like a like a like a conductor the whole way through Noel is amazing but Glenn is an amazing producer as well and the way they would drag people you know especially sometimes that show could be prosaic but they'd never let it be prosaic and Glenn would always do a thing which Noel of course is perfect at that you know if the lights go out if a light blows and we had a complete power cut once uh and he would just keep filming and we filmed and then we all went outside and and make, did the rest of the show outside so he would if anything went wrong he would just show you the workings of Come the show on. Yeah. you know and noel of course can do well, that he, but... he was mr fourth wall noel edmund's swap shop was mis he broke the fourth wall yeah. on television on the bbc yeah, exactly right. I mean, he yeah, he's he he was an enormous uh, talent, that's for sure. We did that on the Big Breakfast. We we talked to the cameraman on the Big Breakfast because Noel talked to the cameraman yeah. on Swap Shop. That's the only reason we did it. But also on on House of Games, where we do now, we just have the crew laughing, and you can do that because Big Breakfast did it. Yeah, you know, it's and so we're all working for Noel, aren't we? We're all, <laughs> which you know what I was for a couple of years. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, we're all we're all step. But TV commissions are interesting because then. Uh, 
popularly they're perceived as idiots and they're not. They're super clever, most of them. But they need to know that something's worked somewhere else, really. You can have one new thing if you've got a couple of things they know has already worked. And so having no audience, if you can say to them, yeah, but like the big breakfast, you've got the, uh, you know, you've got the crew, they'll be like, fine. And having the same people back every day on House of Games, for years I'd said to them, we need to do a celebrity show, like a celebrity quiz league show, but where the same people come back. They go, no, you can't, no, people want new people. And as soon as Taskmaster was on and had the same people back, you could just go, you could just say, you know, like Taskmaster. And they go, okay, yeah, 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 yeah you can yeah, do we it. we love Taskmaster, yeah. what a great idea. You know, it's funny, isn't it? But I, I, I get that. I don't think that's particularly them being um, obstructive. I just, you just need, it's a lot of money you have to spend it's a on load a TV of money. show. And it's your career and all of those yeah, things. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up audiences because one of the questions I had for you before uh, we started the conversation, and you've just reminded me of it, is the fact that a lot of people don't realise what two of the really big costs in, in quiz shows are, if you go for them, audience and questions. Questions yeah. cost money, yeah. audiences cost money, which is why Deal or No Deal is amazing from a question point of view, because mm. there aren't any questions. Oh. And which is why um, um, uh, Countdown is fantastic, because the questions are self-generated on screen. Oh. You don't know, unless you work in telly and formatting, how much of a stroke of genius that is. Yeah. And then also, um, you're looking at audiences, because I often think about that, that about pointless, about yeah. the audiences, because even if you accommodate an audience, you invite an audience, you pay for your audience, often they don't blinking well turn up, and it's, yeah. it's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, because those studio costs are huge, and if you've got an audience, you've, you've got a studio that's twice the size, essentially. That's why all shows like that do four a day, if they can do, because you've got the fixed cost of a studio and an audience and all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be the same cost whether you're making one show or four shows. So you sort of cut it in quarter. But yeah, the questions thing people don't understand at all. Pointless is enormously difficult for question writers because it's lists and it's polling. I mean, it's really, really... Also questions that don't get used. Oh, I mean, it's just insane. Whereas, yeah, I mean, Family Fortunes is a great one for questions because it's surveys, you're just asking surveys, the, yeah, surveys. But I mean, Cats does Countdown. It's beautiful for us because we don't have to worry about that side of the show at all other than we can be as crazy as we want because we know we've always got something to come back to, which is this words and numbers game. And the guy who invented that is a French guy, uh, Marcel, who still rings us every week and says, how, how is the ratings going for the... It's like 90-odd, Marcel. And he just loves it. He loves his show. And But, um, yeah, it's it's deal or no deal. No, no, I mean, no questions. <laughs> it's like literally, it is yeah. just 23 boxes. Deal or deal, guaranteed hit, no questions. Yeah. And um, we just have to very, we can't have this chat about game shows, quiz shows, telly, um, triumph um, all round without mentioning the greatest quiz show of all time, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, mm. which is absolute genius. We've talked about this before, but let's just, from your point of view, how good was that? It's still on, but how good was the conception uh, and the, the process of producing that show in the first place? Well, it's fascinating because the format is very, very, very traditional, which is a money ladder. And money, you know, anyone who works in quizzes, money ladders are a thing. Certainly in end games of shows, you know, you've got a thousand, now you've got two thousand. Do you want to carry on? Gamble. Do you want to, do you want to gamble? Exactly. And then the mathematics of where people stop and why they stop. Uh, and essentially, uh, Millionaire is just that but as a sort of Rolls-Royce just sort of streamlined through the show. But, you know, a, a number of keys to why that money ladder worked where others didn't. Firstly, the format is just there's no thoughts to it, you know, which is incredibly important. Uh, secondly, they worked out a way of funding a million-pound prize, which was phone lines, which um, doesn't work anymore. Uh, and then they decided to strip it across the week and make an event, which they never really do with quizzes. And then they've got an amazing host. 
Tarrant, who is literally perfect for it. So that was one of the ones where the stars aligned. You've got a great format, a great host. It's scheduled properly, and you found a way of funding it. Uh, and the best thing I always think about Millionaire, my daughter is at uni with um, the son of um, Steve Knight. Now, Steve Knight is one of the guys who invented Millionaire. Steve Knight, Mike Whitehill, and... Um, um, uh, yeah. And then went on to write Peaky Blinders. I mean, <laughs> I mean come we've on. We've had him in, we've had him come in. Come on, Steve. That is, I mean, mate, I mean, have a rest. Well, hang on a minute. How amazing is that? What an absolute genius. Well, let me turn those tables on you, well, Mr. Murder Mystery. Yeah. Come on, you see, it's so funny you deal yourself out of that conversation. You've just pulled off the same trick. Well, yeah, other than, other than in a, in a, yes. I mean, no, you're feeling, I can see you feeling comfortable because you <laughs> forgot, because we're into telly now, we're into big yeah. telly conversations. You just, you've just forgotten for an hour that you've got the number one best selling um, fiction book in Great Britain, a uh, book in Great Britain, full stop. Yeah. You forgot that because you just said, you just said with this one, come on, I mean, come on, mate. You know, that's taking the, that's taking the Mickey. You're in, ex you're in a better situation than he's in. Oh, I don't think that's, All right, you know, incomparable. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he's um he, he's he's a very good, a very talented guy. Um, but yeah, listen, it's. Uh, <laughs> Did you forget for a while that you just had the number well, one book? I was enjoying talking about television. You forgot, didn't you? I, I forget I sometimes. I forget I now I'm an author. Oh, I love. That. I should remember that I've got a beard, so that's how I, you know, that's like one of those time travel movies where you can tell which era they're in because at one point they've got a beard and one point they haven't. But uh, you did forget, didn't you? Just yeah, now. a little bit. Um, but no, yes, no, I complete. suppose that's good. I suppose that's good. But... Talk, talking about facial hair, yeah, you can see I've got a bit of a beard at the yeah, moment. I see that? It's not like yours. It's not as good a beard as yours. Okay, um, I think it looks pretty good. But I was going to shave it off um, at the weekend because we had a birthday party, but mm. I just left it on because I knew you were coming. Oh, really? that's like, well, that's good because that's mirroring, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't that's, know. Uh, yeah, that's that strategy, though, isn't it? Oh, yes. No, it... I'm not. I'm not into strategic stuff. You know, well, you'll be probably are subconsciously. No, I'm not. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm into planning things. Okay, I suppose so. But that's like body language. That's like you know, mimicking things. You know, to get from mm. people what you want without them knowing. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. That that NLP that people do. What is it called? Your uh, linguistic program. Yeah, exactly. And and it's about exactly. sort of saying people's names and, and, and mirroring and mirroring. stuff like that. But everything, Stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, like keeping <laughs> a beard on. But every time I read about that, I sort of think. Firstly, there's something. Listen, like if it works for people, it's great, and I think it's good for people's mental health sometimes. But if people say, oh, "I'm going to use it for," I'm going to use it to be successful, uh, and you think, I sort of think, are you not just doing that normally anyway? Are you not being empathetic anyway? Are you not sort of seeing what people need and trying to be respectful of it? And are you not remembering people's names yeah, anyway? Yeah, yeah. You know, I so I sort of feel like um, it's kind of teaching you lessons that. I mean, a, a lot of people it's take too, for granted. It's too cynical. I mean, it, it, look, those books do... I've read some of those books. Mm. They do work to remind you of things that you've forgotten because you're an idiot. Yes. And, and you've become less empathetic and you should rediscover your empathy and your compassion, all those different mm. kind of things. But I'll tell you where it does work. I think it really works. When you can notice when people are uncomfortable mm. and, you know, as opposed to getting things off from them that you want without them knowing, how about making them comfortable without them realising? Yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. much more useful way of using Well, it. listen, if I... The reason I love selling is I, is is not that thing of, oh, I'm going to make you buy something you don't want to buy. This is going to be brilliant. It's literally thinking, I honestly think this is going to make your life better if you say yes at the end of this meeting. Yeah. I honestly think you're going to have fun. I honestly think it'll be, it's got a chance of being successful, all of that. And and with that then, it's, 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 a, it's a case of sort of working with what they want and their desires and stuff like that. And as soon as you can work out, 
other people's desires. I mean, you could use that for evil, uh, for sure. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a lovely thing to be able to have at your disposal if you've got something you're proud of. You know, sending this book has been a really interesting process for me, because you know, I'm really proud of the book. You know, and I, I, I think it's really good, and people people are, are, are loving it, which is lovely. But then you you get into that publishing industry, and you realise that a lot of authors are not comfortable with selling, which I, which I get, and they're not comfortable with, um, you know, going out to bookshops and signing and meeting people and you know and and that sort of it gives you quite a big advantage in that world because in telly everyone's selling right it's a sales industry and in books i assumed it would be the same and it doesn't seem to be they seem to miss an awful lot of tricks as to how you could sell more books than you do and i've i've, I've i'm still sort of finding my way in the industry but it's 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 very very interesting well god help the rest of them if you're finding your way because you're already number one not in just non-fiction but in books overall that's in great britain uh, you know and since we last talked about your book other things have happened there have been more developments uh, shall i go there or do you want to go there first no you you uh, yeah whatever it is okay so like. first of all you pre-sell here we go here's a how-to for you everyone how do you pre-sell pre-sell your debut murder mystery novel um to steven spielberg the film rights to steven spielberg and his company and all his colleagues and all the people who could make it really become something phenomenal on the big screen a couple of months before it even hits the shelves. You know, how do you do that? That has to, and I touched upon this when we talked about it before, that has to have something to do with your sales background and your business background. And since then, mm. since your book has become this big smash, and it is a genuine, genuine, nailed on, huge, big, fat fiction hit here in the UK and it will be across the world because you also pre-sold the overseas rights. Mm. How the heck do you do that, right? Because because big hit books get translated into, you know, 13 languages, 27 languages, 38 languages, all the languages in the world and more, J.K. Rowling, things yeah. like that. And then, since you know, in the last few days, you've been signed, you're already writing your second novel as part of the first book deal, um, but you've now been signed up for a third and fourth novel. How do, how do you, how does all that happen, Richard Osborne? Well, the, the, and I'll be completely genuine here, is, is, is is not by any business skill of mine. It's um, it is, and it's, well, I don't know how to put this exactly. But here's the interesting thing: the book was written, uh, and I know it's a sellable concept. You know, it's about <clears throat> it's about four people in their seventies solving crimes, very unlikely friends, and so people warm to the idea as soon as they hear it, which is great. But any book before it comes out is sent out to all the foreign territories. It's always sent out to the film scouts and the television scouts, and that's what happened with. Uh, with mine, just like it would with anyone's. Um, and those people read it, and then they want to buy it. There isn't, I don't go in a room with those people. They literally just look at the words on a page and say, yes, we'd like to have a meeting, we'd like to make you an offer. So the book does the talking, which is which is very, very interesting, like making a, like making a pilot. Um, and the same with overseas territories, you know, the Italians, the French, the Germans, they read this book, and they say, we would like to Buy the book, and I haven't done anything. I don't walk into a room. Literally, my work is done when when the book is written. Um, and for me, it gave me huge confidence because I know over here that someone will buy the book because I'm on telly, and so you know that that's a thing. And we're all aware that you know celebrities can write books, but you know in Germany and France and what have you, that that's uh, that's not the case. And with the movie thing, it was uh, obviously that I think probably the. The expected thing to do would be to sell it for TV because it feels quite sort of Sunday nights, ITV or BBC. You can you can see that, and we had offers from various um, people. Uh, but then when Spielberg came in, this is the only bit where I do have some business savvy. I think when Spielberg came in, 
I thought, firstly, I'd like to make a film rather than a TV show because it feels counterintuitive, it feels more modern. And secondly, I just know that name. I know that, you know, I know that that's a story. I know that, I know he's a genius and I know he's the one film director that people have heard of. Uh, and obviously I met the company and they're brilliant and I know they're going to do a great job. But I sort of think, I mean, that's just a good story, you know? So the book is a good story, hopefully. And then the story of the book is a good story as well. So it's it all came from people just reading it, which is, uh, yeah, which I don't know what I think about that, but is um, I suppose is I suppose is rather nice. My only counterthought to that, okay, mm. and it's a gentle one, um, is the fact that the salesman wrote the book. So you say I didn't do mm. anything, but you wrote the book. Oh, for sure. It, it, it's it's um. And, and you, you, pre, you precursed the whole, that whole response by saying, well, you know, it's in a retirement home. People are going to fall in love with that anyway. So mm. that's a salesman. But there's not an ounce of cynicism in no. the writing of the book. And I didn't or, mean or, that. No, no, I know you didn't. But, it, but that's the interesting thing. So for me, that doesn't come from that part no, but of me. I really didn't mean it in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, you know, because it comes from you and because you are you and you've lived your life, yeah, yeah, yeah. then all those thoughts are going to be in there anyway and they're going to be on the page. Well, that's the fascinating thing. I've always thought I have some take on who we are and where we are as a country. I sort of think, I think I've got a fairly good take on what people like and why. And again, not a cynical take, just as a product of my upbringing. Uh, and the book is sort of a distillation of that. Uh, and yeah, I think if it hadn't taken off or been successful, I might have gone, oh, I th oh, so maybe my sensibilities are slightly off or slightly wrong. And the fact that it has resonated so much, my genuine thoughts and emotions, I think, oh, I th perhaps, perhaps I do have a handle on, you know, what's uh, what's what, which is which is really, really lovely. Uh, and at the same time, and then you just make people laugh and cry and give them a mystery and all of that <laughs> stuff, which is, but that's the joy of it, right? I mean, that's what, 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 what an absolute joy to do. And I'm sure I've said to you before, the only thing for me about it being a success, and that's the same with telly, and you'll have gone through this in your uh, seven-year <laughs> bacchanalia, is every time you have a hit, you get to do it again. You yeah. know, every time. If you, well, if you want to. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. so, if you do one series of, you know, a TFI or toothbrush, and you and you you love it, and you love who you're working with, and it's a laugh. Yeah. When you get the overnight ratings in, you suddenly know that you're going to be doing the same thing again next year. You think, great, what it's, a laugh! It's so funny though, because for TFI and for for don't forget your toothbrush, you know, it, and I can say this with my hand on my heart, it was I never bothered about ratings because I was in that that sort of river. Uh, or that chapter of my life where, you know, it actually didn't matter whether it was a success or a failure. We just wanted to do it. Yeah, but but that's the point, is it would have mattered if it was doing badly because then you wouldn't have been doing it. Well, You're I doing it because it's successful. No, I suppose... You, no, that is one argument. I'm sort of having a different conversation um, mm. uh, with respect in as much as when the first ratings for the first TFI came through, the headlines in the papers were Evans' new Channel 4 show flops. Yeah, of course. Um, because they weren't what they... Uh, well, somebody somewhere, either in the in the press or you know even back at Channel Four, had whispered that they wanted to be. But you know what? I genuinely didn't care. I actually laughed and thought, "What? Well, it's a great show. We're doing it again next week." And but, it was a different mindset then. But it was know, a confident mindset. I, I mean, suppose. who was your producer? Will 
Will, Dave, Susie. You know, so Claire. Will, David, and Susie would have been looking at the overnights. Do you think they would? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I thought we yeah. all. Felt, I thought we all felt. No, I think because you know them, you did. You didn't know them then. We were a different. I think we we're a different band of brothers and sisters. Then. No, I th- they they are they're looking at the overnights and the channel are looking at the overnights. <laughs> somebody, somebody during that roller the coaster. Overnights, dun, dun, dun. Some, someone the overnights. By the way, that's people in telly. You get all the ratings from 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 the night before. Yeah. But some, that's why you get so drunk on the night of the yeah. show. Just just so the next day you might not care. Yeah about the ratings it's like, it's like the reviews for a, for, for a play yeah. uh, the overnight's coming in but yes somebody in your circle mm. at that time definitely my agent was taking care of business yeah you know, um, somebody was doing Seamus that Seamus probably um, definitely my agent you know and 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 you need that it's it's if you are someone who is <laughs> if you're uh, someone who is spontaneous uh, and maverick then you better have someone Near you, who is who not spontaneous yeah. and is not maverick, or a few ring of steel. He's yeah. got a ring of steel. Very, very exactly. Good. Isn't it funny? So, um, so one of the big things about Millionaire, talking about your overseas sales of your book, that, that not only was Millionaire genius, um, it was it was stripped over two weeks. It was ten parts over two weeks, Monday through Friday for the first fortnight, and then we all know what happened next. Uh, but it also sold extraordinarily well overseas. Mm. Biggest selling uh, quiz show of all time. But, you know on planet earth 127 territories or yeah. something like that you know at once and the checks just kept coming in yeah. and they had this overseas SWAT team didn't they millionaire and they used to you know if you bought it then they would fly in they would be flown in on their private literally on their private jet yeah. and they would they would fly in they would tell you how to do it they would watch you do it they would make sure you're doing it right they would fly out and they go on to the next country yeah um which was incredible uh, don't forget your toothbrush we sold to 17 territories pointless doesn't interpret, so it doesn't travel no. that well. Why is that, do you think? I think it's because, it's what we spoke earlier about question writing, about quite how complicated the show is to produce. And Pointless is quite a cut and shut of formats. There's there's a, there's a, lot, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. There's a lot, it's like a, a swan with, you know, everyone's, the legs are going the whole time. So, yeah, all the foreign territories see the ratings for Pointless and just go, oh, great, uh, we're going to do our local version of this. And then they do it and they just go, what is this show? And I think, I think you know, the show is largely, uh, you know, it's got a lovely hook, but it's largely, it's very British. And it's just me and Zander not being particularly, you know, um, uh, convincing television hosts. And it's, and it's like a club, but it's not the format itself. It's a nice idea, which is different to a format. The idea is nice. The format, it's not like Weakest Link where you just, you know, it just goes through, it's frictionless. You know, pointless. There's an awful lot of bumps in the road, which uh, which we are very comfortable with. But it's fascinating. It's been in seven or eight countries, but just doesn't really take off wherever they do it. Yeah, which no. is sort of makes me think. I mean, from a business perspective, you think that's a real shame. But there's a bit of me that goes, well, I mean, that's uh, so no one else can present it but me and Zander. Well, that's quite something. But it's um, yeah, it'd be nice to have a few hits with it around the world but you know it's some shows just don't travel all right so it's quite parlorish though isn't it parlor gameish yeah, and it has yeah, that yeah. charm about it and it like you say it, it sort of creates its own creases and then you are you have to be wanted you have to want to iron them out yeah. you know would there be could there be because pointless itself you know the most pointless answer that's that's the gist of the whole yeah. thing that's the vertebrae isn't it yeah. couldn't you rewrite it couldn't it be like you know like you have tesco express you know or or, or sainsbury's local couldn't there be couldn't there be a pointless express for other countries that didn't require yours and Alexander's uh, will to climb up the mountain every week, every day. Well, they've tried it in all sorts of ways. And funnily enough, Pointless came from another show that we made, um, 
which got a couple of million viewers on Channel 4 and got taken off called Beat the Nation. And that came from my, uh, presented by Graham Garden and uh, again, the late uh, and wonderful Tim Brooke Taylor. And that came from my thinking. So quiz people are obsessed with quizzes. And, you know, it's they, they get, you know, there's certain things in quizzes that are constantly are interesting. And one of the things was, how do you know that the questions are fair to each contestant? How do you know they're of the same level? Which is, uh, you know, a real <laughs> skill and a technique. And well, that comes from going for gold, asking uh, people yeah, they don't speak from, in from the mother Austria, tongue of English yeah. uh, questions in English about British things. About Duncan Goodyear. Yeah. Like I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, well, let's do a show where I know exactly how difficult the questions are because we asked them to a hundred people. So every single question we asked them to a hundred people, and the fewer people got them right, the more points you get for 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 that essentially. So that became the scoring system of, 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 of Beat the Nation. And so that's the kind of more user-friendly, easier-to-make version of Pointless. But such, is the, such are the serendipities of TV. It went off air after two series. But, you know, that's the, that's the format that works. Uh, and Pointless is a, is, a, is a show that works, but not necessarily a format that works. Okay. Um, I've got a quiz show to pitch to you. Oh, great. Okay. I'm not going to do it here. But I actually genuinely have. It's, oh, great. Um, it's not why I should come over a podcast. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've been thinking about it for ages. Because really? I'm always thinking about it, yeah. And it's like... Um, is it daytime? Because that's where that's where the money is at the moment. Whatever you want it to be. Okay, great. Um, but it's like therapy for me. You know, mm. if I want to... It's like meditation. If I want to stop thinking about everything, I just think about the show that's... Cause it, and it's all off the back of who wants to be a millionaire. Because, yeah. you, you know, I saw the original pitch document for that. Oh, did you? Yeah, I saw it. It was like, it was like the oh, Holy Grail. Is, is that another one you turned down? No, no, no. But did he but, watch the millionaire drama? No. Oh my god, it's good. I'm sure it was. I don't have time, and so I've got to be in bed by good. like stupid o'clock every so night. Good. Now I will. Well, I'll try and watch it. Um, but the original, I saw, and it wasn't a copy. It was the original pitch document, nice. and it was four pages of A4, yeah. and they were stapled together on the left-hand corner. And the first page just said, "He wants to be a millionaire." A stripped um, show for ITV over 10 nights yeah. in brackets that was page one page two was answer 15 questions correctly um page uh three was something else and page four was and there are some lifelines yeah and that was it i always say to every single whenever we were pitching things are different now you've got to pitch with video but i always said i gave people the the um five ten thirty second rule which is look at every person you're sending this pitch to is reading a lot of pictures and they're watching a lot of stuff and they're busy i said Make sure your three pages, make sure they're literally going to spend five seconds looking at your first page. So only put five seconds worth of information on there. They'll spend 10 seconds looking at your second page if they're interested. So put 10 seconds of information there. And then you can put your 30 seconds page because you've got them. But don't put a minute's worth of information on the first page. They're not going to look at it. So, you know, lead, and it's exactly that. Give them just absolute bite-sized yeah. things because that, that's how people read. I, was about, I don't know why 15 to 1 now. Um, every second counts. All these great formats. Fifteen. To, weakest link, as you mentioned before, that was great, wasn't it? That was That's a really so good, good one. But it's interesting. Loads of people, and you, uh, I, I know you're in, in in the business, so I'm always happy to hear a pitch. But people will often from different worlds. Who I know, they'll often say, "Look, I've had this idea, and honestly, I've been thinking about it for ages, and I wouldn't mention it other than I think." It could be huge. It's a quiz, and I know that you know you'll you'll tell me one way or the other. But I honestly think it's huge. Uh, and I always say to them, I say, look, rather than have a meeting, why don't you send me like a five-line precy, right? Because I will guarantee you any money that's been made before by, by, by somebody. Uh, and they always go, well, I don't think it has. 
and then they'll send you the five line pricey and you just go right this was on bbc2 like seven years ago adrian charles hosted it and they did it and i just saw a pilot of it with it's the it's every single time no one's ever pitched me a show ever i thought boom Let's put that on telly. We always had for years, we do a big intern scheme at Endemol. That's great because we've always been about access and making sure people who can't afford to live in London can come and work with us. And, you know, we make sure they're, they're, they're sort of paid properly and all of that. Uh, and the application procedures, literally, you send us three ideas, right? That's it. Three telly ideas. Uh, and we've been running it 20 years. And there's never been a single idea you could put on telly. But the amount of people who go, nope, I'm not sending you my ideas. You're just trying to rip us off. You just think... If you've got, I swear to you, good if you've got them. good ideas, yeah. right? We will. You, there will be a there will be a limo a driving a jet. to Stafford, yes. driving you back down here, and we'll give you an absolute a money. litter of Labrador yeah. puppies and some rose petals yeah. for you to walk on. And you come and work for us forever. Yeah. You, I promise we'll you'll you a be a million pounds a minute. Yeah. If, you, if you've got a great idea, you, we, I promise you'll make us rich and we'll make you rich. And also we know, don't we, you know, and we can say this, um, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got one good idea, you've got a million good ideas. It, it's 100% that. You know, you, if, if someone's got a good idea, they don't just have one. And if they do, then it's, you know. Well, they don't. Yeah. They, I, don't, they, I, don't, I don't know. It's like you know, people say to me, oh, but I tried to, you know, I gave, I gave up when I was this age or that age or this Tuesday it was raining or last Monday when it was snowing. And, so, but I, and I also said, but it could have happened the, the next day. Yeah, the but also... Just keep you, knocking on the doors, man. And also if you, your, your brain, you have to have a brain that can't help but be thinking of the stuff. Yeah. And it, but it is hard and access is the key. And I do think that if, if you're um, somewhere where you don't know, I didn't know anyone in telly when I went in there. Uh, so I got very, very lucky. But if you don't know anyone in telly, and you are great. That's the thing for me. That's the absolute holy grail. Whenever we do those schemes, or even talking like this now, there's somebody sitting somewhere in Liverpool or Dundee or you know Belfast, wherever they are, who hasn't got an opportunity, but who is brilliant, who is brilliant, and has no way of accessing that or no way of doing anything with that. Uh, and so the more we can sort of advertise the fact that we have those schemes, go on the end of my website, by the way, if you want to look at it. What is it? Uh, which I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we're even called it. We'll put anymore. it in the show notes. We just got bought. <laughs> so, we don't have any show notes yet, but we're going to yeah. get some and they're going to be in them. I think we're called Ban- Banerjee now. Uh, we just changed our name. But the scheme the scheme continues. But that's the thing, isn't it? Is, you know, that I was given an opportunity, which I'm being forever grateful for, uh, and giving other people opportunities. That's the, you know, you, you didn't come from a, somewhere where... You know, your route into it wasn't easy. Your route was hard work and luck, right? Didn't feel like it at the time. Oh, what did it feel like? It felt great. No, it felt but, like a ride. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, yeah, you could look back at it like that. But your but, access into it. No, I, I know what you're saying, yeah. but I got to say, it didn't. You know, it felt like the most every minute of every day. And still, now we're back there. It feels like the mm. most exciting thing you can do with your life. But how did you get through the door? I got through the door um, by pretending to have a show on Hospital Radio, which I didn't have, and then um, writing to Timmy Mallet to ask him to interview him for the show that I didn't have nice. um, with a tape recorder that I didn't own. And he said yes, so then I had to acquire a tape recorder, which was a Grundig 350 Deluxe, which weighed more than anything I've ever picked up before wow. or since. And I put it on the train, and I put myself on the train, and then I did a, a fantasy interview uh, that he was happy to do um, for a station and a show that I didn't that didn't exist. Nice. Um, and, but while I was there, his assistant, he went on to be the CEO of Disney, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> was 
was curly at uni. Mallet must be like, oh, fuck, uh, I mean, what have I? My, mine used to work on Wackaday. Yeah, that's not amazing. I know. And, um, and, and he said he was leaving that day. So he said, I said, who's he? He said, oh, that's Andy. Um, um, but he's going back to university next week. And he just carried on with the next set. I was like, right. Just wrote a letter, got an interview, and that was it. That was it. I, I, so I think my letter said, I will, do any, I will do anything forever for nothing. And yeah. I meant it, you know? And it never, never felt freer. Yeah. Never felt more fearless, you know, and, and, you know, bought a ticket, you know, still enjoying the ride, you know, made a few stops on the way and all that. Haven't you just? Yeah. Right. So, um, can I ask you some random questions? Yeah. Okay. Of course you can. What was the best thing about having a brother who was in suede that ever happened to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is this. I remember a producer once saying to me, when this is, I'd have been in my early 20s or something and Suede was sort of, uh, you know, in their pomp. And he said, oh, you must be so jealous. And I literally had ne- it had never occurred to me because I never wanted to be a rock star, ever. It's not it's not for me. Uh, and all the people in the world to be a rock star, my brother would be my first choice. Because, <laughs> you know... Why? Well, because I saw him play bass from when he was 15 and learn it and, you know, be singing up in the room with Brett and all that stuff. Tell, and, tell us about that before you and, get into the next bit, though, my original question. Tell us about those moments. Well, that, you know, they because they, they just were in a normal small-town band like everyone's brother is in. You know, everyone's brother is in yeah. a band and, you know, suddenly they've got, like, a little cassette and they were called Paint It Black briefly. They were called Jeff at one point for reasons that escape me. Uh, and, you know, they were just sort of sit and play away like everybody's brother does but there's always there was always something about my brother that I thought oh I, but I bet though I bet if anyone's got anyone's brother's going to do it uh you will and me you know Brett obviously is an incredible showman as well so yeah I, yeah I saw them go from kind of bedroom to then suddenly they're at uni and they're playing at kind of little pubs in London and then it really really exploded in the way that things could explode in the 90s as you well know uh, and it went very, very crazy, very, very um, quickly. And so the joy has just been, um, you know, I love to stand by the side of the stage. You know, I absolutely love that. I was on the side of the stage once in, um, uh, I want to say Benicassin in Spain, but I don't think it was. It was in Spain anyway, up in the Pyrenees. Uh, and I was standing next to Bowie, like at the side of the stage, just <laughs> watching you think, well, this is, this is quite fun. And listen, I'm not a huge music head. I'm a comedy fan and a sports fan. That's my... Country Western. world. Yeah, I love a bit of country and western for sure, and I love Suede, and they're an amazing live band. I mean, they really put on a show. You know, they they, they know what they're doing. But the key thing, it, honestly, if I could encapsulate one memory, it would be, uh, and it's and, it, and it's, it's, it's it's an accumulation of, of different memories, is standing out front watching, and I just watch Matt, who's the bassist, and Simon, who's the drummer, and you know, you've got Brett and Richard, and they're doing their kind of histrionics, and just the two of them just keeping this incredibly tight rhythm and this incredibly tight beat, just making this whole thing uh, run. And I honestly, it makes me teary sometimes how proud I am of him and of what he's doing. And, that, you know, that it's uh, seeing uh, someone you love doing something that they love is uh, that's the that's the best thing about it, I would say. How come you got on so well with your brother for siblings who don't get on so well? Uh, well, you know what? It's because we don't spend a lot of time together. Uh, I have to say, well, we've never back then when he was fourteen and you were a bit younger. Uh, again, we—I—I I don't think particularly that that we because we had three and a bit years between us, which is a bit too much to be pals. You know, he was still—he's always on a pedestal for me. You know, he's in the fifth year when I'm in the first year. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. that kind of vibe. Uh, and you know, he was going out when I wasn't allowed to go out, and he was at uni before I was doing my. Which so, is a bum deal for the younger kid, I think. 
Oh, for me, it's fine, though. Is it okay? Yeah, because I'm an introvert. I don't want to go out anyway. Yeah. So he was a trailblazer, did whatever he wanted, and I never wanted to. I was never the one going, oh, I want to go out. I want to do this. Honestly, I, I sit at home and watch telly and watch the snooker. That's always, that's always been me. So we were born the right way around, I think. <laughs> uh, and it's, um, it's, so, a, it's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. So, but, and now, you know, we don't spend a huge amount of time together, but I admire him a great deal. I get on with it. He's very funny. He's very bright man he's written a novel as well which is terrific uh which is very called the ruins very very different to mine which was a relief i think to both of us um and it's um you know i know he's proud of what i've done but yeah oh my god having a brother in a band was amazing you know but, it was amazing so there's a tipping point for them i don't know what it was because and i should i should ask them brett was in here a few months ago yeah. uh, but was there a tipping point for you back at home for you and your mum when you knew that he'd made it Did, was that palpable was that yeah I think when I was probably when I was at uni. No, in fact, it was a bit after that. I had my first ever job in telly, so it would have been 92. And I worked at a company, made a, a, a video game show for Sky. That was my first ever job. I got it out of the paper uh, and it was awful. But um, <laughs> so I would always buy, there were three music papers in those days Enemy, Sounds, and Melody Maker would all come out on Wednesday morning. But if you're in London, they came out Tuesday lunchtime. Uh, and buying the first one where they were on the front cover of Melody Maker before they'd even released a record and just said best new band in Britain. And that was back at a time where if Melody Maker said that, then, you know, and from then on it went absolutely crazy, which was amazing. Uh, and that was very, very exciting. You know, that was enormously exciting and my friends excited. But yeah, that's the moment you think, okay, you've really, you know, you've really gone and done it now. And then the first few albums were huge. Uh, and then they did a brilliant thing of absolutely throwing it away because of uh, narcotics. And you think, well, good for you. At least, it's, uh, <laughs> at least that's the way to do it. And now, you know, they're all in their 50s, or, or a few of them are, and they just go around the world with their mates playing music and getting paid for it, just, you know, and releasing new music and writing new music. And, you know, think, what a, you know, my mum's always worried that he hasn't had a proper job. And you want to say, look, he's 52 now. Yeah. He's still making a fortune doing this, and people are still loving it. Um, so he's, he's, he's been through the three acts, I think, of being in a band. But he's still in one, so there's another act to come, I suppose. Well, I think the other act is you just, just keep going around the world. Or is you? it the encore or the whatever, you know? Well, I think it's, you know, you're in orbit, aren't you? You're just enjoying the view. I suppose so. It's, it's, it depends. But you can be in orbit and then you can so, sort of lose any gravitational pull towards the planet, Rich. You don't know about this, but let me tell you. No, but I was going to ask about it because you seem like you're in orbit now, right? You've, you've, you've shot up for years and years and years, but you seem to have found a happy place to be. Yeah, I think it's not orbit. I think I suppose you can be orbit, but I feel more anchored. It's more, it's more sort of, it's more visceral than that. But an orbit is anchoring because because an orbit you're in you're in a you're in a absolute perfect plane because gravity is holding you exactly yeah, no, where, no, where, 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 where you need to be. It's just a different metaphor. I just yeah. feel it's a bit more solid than that. That's interesting. I I like orbit only because it's more connected. I can think you can see. No, I do too. But yeah, but having done both, yeah. I know that if you're tethered. Yeah. You don't have to trust your ability to yeah, yeah, stay yeah. within your own orbit. And how for how long have you felt stable in that way? I think since kids' second time around. Really? Which is, how many years is that now? 11, 12. So that feels like it's permanent now, right? Oh, yeah, but you've, having, you know, having known, you know, yeah. that th th things can... I agree. I mean, and also I load the bases a lot every day. I load the bases so bad things hopefully can't happen even if they want to. But having said that, you know, I'm aware of um, how it's like, you know, in certain situations, um, you know, you know, in in the world of, I don't know, uh, um, aviation, mm. things can go wrong very, very quickly. Yeah. 
And I think in life, things can go wrong very, very yeah. quickly. There's that great phrase, no, you know, we're all only two really bad decisions away from being homeless. Yeah. That kind of thing. And that's always at the back of my mind. For sure. But I, do you know what? That Here's the interesting thing is that's the, that's the, you've got to jettison that as well. And that's the, like, that's uh, because that voice is never doing you any favors. The, oh, but what if, but what if, but what if? And this is something that I've always found really difficult. But that idea of people say, when people say they're living in the present, I think what they're saying is, this is this is my view. Listen, with the book that's come out and it's, it's gone better than I could have imagined, it's been a joy, right? Has I've it really a, gone better than yeah, you could have imagined? I, yeah, Wildest I mean, dreams? Yes. Okay. Beyond it. You, you have a figure that you say to people, then you have a figure <laughs> a figure in your head that you think, I'm never going to oh, say right, that. That's because a lovely conversation to have. It's gone above that figure so that's great because you're a nice guy uh, and that's uh, and uh, and the key there is to think listen it's never going to get better than that two weeks we know that that first flush of something and that joy uh and so there's two ways of looking at it one oh god what's the come down from that going to be like how am i going to and or you just think brilliant i'll just stick that in my pocket i'll stick the last two weeks in my pocket and i'll have it forever you know, it's never going anywhere because yeah. I don't know what happened tomorrow. Might be good, might be bad, but I've got no control over it. Whereas I have got control over how I've experienced the last two weeks and where I put that. Yeah, well, you do have control over it. I mean, you know, a friend of mine who's a recovering alcoholic, he, he says that every decision he makes every single day is is pre the precursor to every decision is, will it, this get me close to having another drink or does it keep me at a, 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 the same distance as yeah. the last decision or does it get me further away? And, you know, and if it's the first, he just can't, he can't make that decision in that direction. Yeah. So, so you can do something about it. You can, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. You know, you can call it fear, you know, and I've talked about that a lot, you know, um, and you can call it uh, depression because that's the past, anxiety, fear of the future, all that kind of stuff. I know, no, the, can, no, I know the practice that you're talking about. You can about. certainly talk about consequences, but what I'm saying is if you have a pattern of behaviour that's protecting yourself about possibilities in the future, oh, yes, but, but, but at the same time is diminishing you in the present, yeah. then that's behaviour that you can do something about. Yeah, and also, also there's, a, there's another lovely example of that. And um, we had a, a guy who's written a called I think like a monk on the show. Oh yeah, and which is that's a, that's a big hit as well. It's a huge hit, and yeah. Jay Shetty is a huge hit. Yeah. And what's incredible about Jay is that he's only thirty three. He's a baby, oh, is he? Yeah, and he's wielding all this wisdom. And by yeah. the way, it's the re he it's the real deal. Oh, he's the real deal. He's gonna have a midlife crisis in forty five. <laughs> you get Jay Shetty back at forty five. He's, he's certainly towards one, or maybe he's not. But the, you know, he'll be, he'll, be, he'll be living in a hotel somewhere, won't he? With, with out of a suitcase. Well, let, let's hope not. Um, <laughs> no, of course but, he won't. But he's living he in a monastery without a suitcase, yeah. so I think he'd be. I don't know. I think he'll. Be okay. prepared for that but it's interesting but what he says about what you just said is the fact that you know if you are thinking about anything that's distracting you it you know that does take away call it the present call it as woo woo as you like or as practical as you like mm. which is unhelpful but what you can do is you can compartmentalize the the deposits in the bank of you know uh i don't know sense well-being you mm. know uh, responsibility protection future protection security of your family things like that and and that gives you a, a sense of um, not relief, but a freedom to then be um, uncontaminated by these thoughts of putting yourself in peril. Mm. And I think that is quite handy. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, listen, as when, when we're younger, we dream forwards, which is what's going to happen next, and that's exciting. And when we're older, we dream backwards, which is that was wonderful. <laughs> I'm so glad I did that. And that, you know, if you if you accept that you're past that tipping point, then that can be a very peaceful place to be. I think. Tipping point. Yeah, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, the, th the thing about um, about your bro, just before we move on, mm. 
you know, the thing about suede was, this is apropos nothing. Yeah. It's just think, something I was thinking while you were talking. Um, suede were like pulp, pulp were like suede. Yeah. You know, they were cool and massive. Mm. And that's a, that's a rare old beast. It's really, it's a really difficult tightrope to walk. And, you know, that's why, you know, they were never Oasis or Blur because they were, they were actually the real deal in a funny kind of way. They were, they were a very rare beast. And that's why people who love them adore them. And that's why even around the world now they could just go and play in 50 different countries because they were huge in lots of places. But then they would just write huge pop tunes as well, but still being, you know... I remember being in Barcelona once uh, and uh, uh, on uh, Las Ramblas and it's so beautiful and colourful and, you know, all the flowers and this and the other. And then just in the distance, like, just like five men dressed head to toe in black just walking down the middle of the, and that, and that's them. You just think, you know, they they and even now you look at them, they're so unbelievably skinny and cool. I know, still. I know, and everybody gets a bit bigger. Even Duran Duran got bigger, yeah. you know, because when you when you're 27, you think you're a bloke. Yeah. When you're 35, you look back at the photographs when you're 27, and you were smaller. Mm. And then something happens to your shoulders, and you just get bigger and yeah. you get more substantial, you know. And that's why when you meet the Rolling Stones, who still look like the Rolling Stones, you can. If Mick Jagger is stood five feet in front of you, you can barely see him. Really? Because if yeah. you could see him, he wouldn't look like a Rolling Stone when he's on on screen or on a jumbotron. Yeah. You have to be extraordinarily skinny to yeah. look skinny. It's weird, right? Oh man, it's so weird. Oh. You know. Um, Jarvis Cocker pop, they, you know, same thing going on. But Jarvis is the same. Jarvis is timeless, isn't he? Do you yeah, know Jarvis Cocker? No, I don't actually. I don't think if I, I don't think I've even ever met him. But I'm a huge admirer of his work. Yeah, and he he seems very happy in his own skin, whether he is yeah. or not. You know, he I, does I don't seem know. it though, doesn't it? You can usually tell. You can use you know people people who tell you too often they're happy in their own skin. You just think mm, okay, uh, but you know show don't tell always show don't tell show don't tell like that. Okay, another question. Um, why why? Is the chocolate digestive deeply upsetting as a winner in your own competition, King of the Biscuits? Um, why is it upsetting? Well, it's Deep, no, you said deeply upsetting. Deeply upsetting. She's different. Uh, well, it's interesting because and Dairy Milk was the winner in the World Cup of chocolate bars as well, uh, and it's a, it is a, it, it's a, it's a regression to the mean, uh, and if you understand that it's the most popular thing, then you understand the country a bit more. You know, because people always say, "Oh no, it's got to be, it's got to be the hobnob, it's got to be, uh, you know, it's got to be the jammy dodger." You just think, "No, it's going to be the one big thing. Everyone likes the same stuff." It's, you know, it's like when Coldplay released a new single, and everyone just goes, "Yep, that's a really, really good single." You know, we're all, or a book comes out, or something comes out, and every, it's a, the the absolute alchemy when you have a hit TV show of everyone just going, "Yep, that's the one." Yep, that's the one we're going to watch. Uh, and something that's, you know, two degrees different. They go, no, no, I don't think so. It's like George Ezra coming out. And, you know, how many different versions of George Ezra are there? Loads, right? There's loads of great singer-songwriter guys. Yeah. But he just knocks out a few tunes and everyone goes, yep, yep, I've absolutely got that. And it's not hype because you get those phenomena all the time where everybody around the country thinks the same thing at the same time. They all do. They all listen to that same song and they all go, Yep, that's the one. Uh, and the chocolate digestive uh, is that for biscuits. But, you know, for me, I, I would go Jaffa cake, but that's a whole world of pain. Yeah, no, Jaffa is a biscuit, is a cake, laddie, laddie. Did yeah. you start that argument? Yeah. Well, I, listen, I'm sure it was before me, but I, 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 I like to think <laughs> I like to think I opened up the, the biggest chasm, yeah. Well, it has to be a cake because as Jaffa cakes go off, they get harder, no, and as no, biscuits no, no, go no. off, they get softer. I mean, this is I get told I, this a lot, and that was the VAT argument. Uh, about what? it. What do you mean? 
Well, that's why they're classed as cakes for VAT, because yeah. they go hard rather than soft. But that's like, listen, they're in the, <laughs> they're in the biscuit aisle, okay? They're in the biscuit so, aisle. So, so am I when I'm buying them, but I'm not a biscuit. You know, Bonnie tired as a tider, but I wouldn't ask her to regret my bathroom. Well, spoke with a Y. Uh, it's, it's true. No, it's, um, it's how we use them. If, you, if one of your kids had a birthday... They do. And you they said, no way. What a family. <laughs> what are you, Mormon? Uh, so one of your kids had a birthday. You say, great news, kids. I have got you a cake. Uh, and they turn up and there's a Jaffa cake. Is that a, a, They go, no, Dad, that's a biscuit. You've given us a no, chocolate they biscuit. They go nuts. They get nuts for it. They love, they Not love for it. one chocolate. Not right. All of your friends are coming around. We're all going to give them a slice of cake. Rule of six. Yeah, but by the time this comes out, it'll be rule of who knows what it'll yeah, be. Our twins of. have a birthday on Saturday and it's just, you know, he's coming oh, around. Yeah, all yeah. right, before, before you go, thanks for spending so long Pleasure. with us. Thanks. For, I really appreciate it. Let's talk about your mum. Ah, oh, lovely Brenda. How amazing is your mum? Uh, yeah, she's all right. I, I've got. I have to. I have to keep her. She's so cocky now. Oh my god! Why is she so cocky? Because you've been so nice about her in interviews before. You're yeah. having to dial it down a bit now. Yeah, a little bit because you know, and where she, you know, where she lives, she's a she. You know, she gets more of a kick out of the success of the book than I do. I think in some ways, uh, and yeah, constant because the book's about people in their seventies, and she is. I've, I've I've had to talk about her a lot. Uh, and yeah, she's getting a tiny bit too big for her boots, Brenda. I think. Um, no, she's a she's a delightful uh, woman. She's thrilled with the uh, success of the book. I, you know, she genuinely. Uh, she said to me the other day. She said, "Everyone says you mustn't live through your children." She said, "But I have to say, I think it's okay." So you think, "Oh, well, that's sweet. That's a nice thing." Listen, she 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 didn't marry the right guy, but I think she's had a lot of fun with her two sons. So I think I think that's good. That's a nice thing to be able to give back to her. Um, but no, she's great. The book, the book is is um, is dedicated to her, and she, I call her the last surviving Brenda. Uh, and that's because she said amongst her friends, she said there were five of them called Brenda, and my son said, "How many are left?" And she said, "I'm the last surviving Brenda." Uh, so it's dedicated to that. And I've had to sign a couple of books in the last few weeks to other Brendas. And so with all of those, I've done a little arrow to the last surviving Brenda. I said, I just said, "Not the only one." Yeah. Not the only one. No, but she's great. But I mean, it's effectively a single mum, as my mum was, because my dad mm. died um, uh, when I was thirteen. Um, th you know, super mums and some. I mean, it's yeah. quite incredible. If I think of the, some of the things my mum, the sacrifices my yeah. mum made. You know, with her time, with her energy, with her lack of sleep. Yeah, and no know? money. You know, and, she and no, zero yeah. pounds, zero. Yeah, pounds. that's the thing. You know, and I look back and I just think I never thought that we didn't have money and we didn't go on, you know, I just never really thought about it because that, that wouldn't have occurred to me. But, you know, she would do, you know, filling envelopes on the kitchen table all evening, you know, all night for kind of 0.01p an envelope, you know, nonstop for, for, for years and years. Uh, and that's not, that wasn't a fun gig for her, you know, with, 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 with the brains she had, but she did it because, you know, she had to get some extra money. But, yeah, I never, in the kind of uh, the wonderful sort of inability of youth to be able to recognise what's going on around them, you know, I, it, it was kept from me for many years. And I look back and think, wow, yeah. that's uh, amazing what she did, which is, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, it, it's uh, having a strong woman right at the heart of your life uh, is, is, is a very good thing for a man, I think. Yeah, we, we never knew. It's funny you should say what you just said. We never knew we didn't have any money. Yeah. It, we just, it doesn't feel like we didn't. Yeah. You know, looking back, it was obvious, actually, if you look yeah. at it, you know. Um, doesn't take a magnifying glass. Yeah, but I mean, we just didn't feel like that. I honestly think there's. A, a, I've I've never felt guilty about 
making money. And I, you know, I, I sort of, I know that it's, it's a difficult subject for some people, but you know, I started with zero money and didn't know, and then got money. And so every time I get a pound, I'm incredibly grateful for it, and it's exciting for me, and it's different. And I pay all of my tax and I share it around. But uh, you know, it's the it's the perfect way around in life to start. It wasn't perfect for my mum. But for me to start and have this lovely life and not know you didn't have any money and then suddenly someone starts paying you money, and you think, oh, my God, I can do that. I can go there. That's, um, you know, and you must have had that, like, an insane amount, the money that you made. You made, you made 70 million at one point from... Yeah, more, a bit more. You know, and that's... Um, when, uh, I, you know, I get certain amounts of money, what do you do with 70 million? Where does that, where does that put you? What's, what comes out of the woodwork when 70 million turns up well again notwithstanding the fact that some people might find this it's just a conversation between two blokes who started with nothing ended up making something yeah i mean you don't get it all at once because you yeah. never do and also there's a load of tax to be paid so you have that um by the way you still got quite a yeah, lot that's, left yeah, that's a lot, right? um you, you 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 buy some you buy people things um yeah. that you love um you know i bought a couple of houses and yeah. then um went out for a couple of decades yeah you know? it's interesting isn't it yeah it's, uh, it's um but you never felt, because I've never felt, and I see some people, usually people who bought up rich, who they have a certain amount of money and they're always striving for more. And that's never been me. I've always been incredibly grateful for what I have. And you see some, some people who buy a, you know, a house and they go, oh, there's a house on the next road that I would... And you just think, mate, don't listen. It's don't amazing. Well, so don't deal in more. Yeah. Because if, de- if you're dealing more, the next, the only thing you ever want is more. I know. And in, in everything in life as well. Not, it doesn't matter what, what it is. If you, you've got to, you've got to make peace with what you have. What you're looking for is where you're looking from. Ah, That's nice. That's the deal there. Yeah. Where do you want to be? You're 50 soon? Yeah, I'm 49 now, yeah. You're 50 this year? Yeah, I'm afraid you, so. You're going to have a party? Uh, well, I mean, it, I'll, I'll have six close friends, I suppose. Five, hopefully. <laughs> oh, yeah, five close law. friends. Yeah, <laughs> Unless yeah. you're not invited. You are quite right. Yeah, <laughs> five close friends. I mean, may, maybe we'll be uh, allowed a few more before then. That would be nice. Would Pointless ever take a hit for anything else in your career? No, I think I have. You know, you you, 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 you keep having to ne- never quit the hit. Uh, and I'm very grateful for it because it places me somewhere in the is that, in, is that a phrase never quit, never quit the hit yeah oh well. yeah we should have uh, been 25 years ago actually no because all you know all roads lead to where we are of right course now. they do of course. of course they do you listen either never quit the hit or always quit the hit both work uh uh so you know that that's what <laughs> that's my kind of that's my kind of stake at the poker table uh, in a way doing pointless that's what people know me for and so and i'm very grateful to it so i'll keep doing it forever and also just working with zander is a Absolute joy. So I'll keep doing that. But I'd like to write for the next 10 years, really. And All right, mate. Well, I'm sure you will. Uh, thanks a lot and lots of love to you and yours. It's been brilliant to talk to you. You too. Oh, my God. I want to be him. That was Richard Osman. You've been listening to How to Wow, brought to you by MS Plant Kitchen. Plant Kitchen, green Thai curry. Available now, £3.50. <laughs> M&S have recreated the flavour of fish sauce by using the fermented chilli paste Tobin Jan in this fragrant curry served with jasmine rice. Haven't had it yet, can't wait. Going to buy one myself on the way home. Now that's what I call a meat substitute. M&S Plank Kitchen, proud sponsors of How to Wow. P.S. Please rate and subscribe. Goodbye. <laughs>